James chapter 3. James chapter 3. 1988, uh, America, or actually Wyoming, uh, Rocky Mountain areas, is one of the worst droughts uh, in history. It was the sixth worst in Wyoming, and in some places it was the worst drought since records were kept. And I don't know if you remember Yellowstone National Park on fire during that summer. Some of you weren't even born. I realize this dates me. Um, I remember it. I remember the flames and all the news about Yellowstone burning. And uh, I, I was reading a book uh, way back in the day called Fire. It's by this guy, Sebastian Younger. But it's a fascinating story about fire and forest fires, and in particular, Yellowstone's fire was one of them. And um, the forest, use, forest Service uses a, a metric called the Palmer Drought Index to figure out how bad is it for a drought. And up on the screen, you'll see this saying. And uh, so tens are really bad. The green means it's extreme drought. So at level four, you are talking about an extreme, not drought, extreme flooding is what they would term that. Level four is extreme flooding. Negative four is extreme drought. When you look at 1988, it's one of the worst droughts. In fact, it's beyond extreme. Yellowstone Park was at negative 5.8. And some places in, in actually in Idaho were in the six, six and a half. So you're talking about really bad conditions for fire. Now, we all know what fuels are. Oh, you know, you have diesel fuel, you have your regular gas, and, and you have other things that can light on fire, oil, natural gas. Those are fuels. When you get out into the wilderness, they also use the same terminology, fuels. Fuels are things like grass, shrubs, and trees. And what they talk about is they use this, this metric that says that to register and figure out how bad is it out there and how volatile is everything in terms of being able to be ignited. And they say they quantify it in terms of hours. So there is a one-hour fuel, there is a thousand-hour fuel, and there's a ten thousand hour fuel. Your one-hour fuel is grass. And they figure this out by saying, how long does it take to either gain 63% of its weight in water or lose 63% of its weight in water? So for grass, it takes an hour. Now, why do they say 63%? You'll have to ask Smokey the Bear. I couldn't understand it. Um, but that's what they say. There's a tipping point there. It's at 63%. So grass is one hour. They have fuels such as shrubs that are up to about, it's 10 to 100 hours. And then they start talking 1,000 hours, and that's trees that get up to about 8, eight inches in diameter. That's 1,000-hour fuel, meaning it takes 1,000 hours for it to lose 63% of its water or weight in water or gain 63% of its weight in water. 10,000-hour fuel, that's a 6-foot in diameter tree takes 10,000 hours to lose. So this is a little science class, but trust me, it all works out. It's fascinating to me. I geeked out over this stuff. Sorry. You may be looking at me like this dude. What is he talking about? So anyway, when you get to Yellowstone 1988, you go back there. The 1,000-hour fuels were at one hour. The 10,000-hour fuels were at 1,000 hour. It was ready to blow up. 
Add into that when a fire starts and heat's getting blown across, you already have over 100 degree temperatures. Then you add wind to this thing, which also dries things out. So the heat's rising. Then you throw flames and fire on this thing and the flames and heat gets pushed uphill and, and up the mountain slope. What you can have is this other accelerant, which is sap or turpines, right? Heat, calls, heat causes that stuff to form into gases and leave the tree. And because it's heavier than oxygen, it goes to the forest floor. And so what happened, and you saw this happen again, and they have video of this stuff, is sparks would get thrown by the wind, and it would literally land down in on this blanket of gas, and you would see whole acres, thousands of acres, literally blow up. And the firefighters or the hot shots, the guys that drop from the planes, they have these stories of trees. They don't burn. They just explode. Like literally they shatter into a million pieces because it's, it's literally like they said it was the equivalent, the Yellowstone fire. I don't know how many atomic bombs going off, the amount of energy that was expended during those fires. It was crazy. All the right conditions all the right timing, and it exploded. And, and you saw fire shoot up 300 feet into the air. They were measuring this. The forest floor went from 100 degrees to 2,000 degrees, literally in seconds. And I say all that because it has relevance to this morning's passage in James. James 3, verse 2. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder whenever the will of, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, standing the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. But brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. James is at this point, he's been talking to his, these young Christians. Hey, this is how you follow Christ. And there was so much discrimination and there was so much favoritism and there was so much labeling going on and destruction going on by teachers and the whole church with their mouths and he kept saying you can't do this and this is why and this is why and he finally gets to this point where he says you guys and your tongues 
are out of control. And then what actually happens is he throws himself in there and says, well, actually, who in the world can control their tongue? If anyone can control their tongue, they can control their whole body. And he launches into this, I would say, one of the most intense moments in the letter. And he goes after the way they talk to each other and our speech as a whole. And I would say us because it's still true today. He starts off with several different illustrations out of life. He talks about this, this bit and uh, he says, you know, if we put a, a, a bridle, right? He says it puts a bit in the mouth of a horse in verse 3 so that they'll obey us and then we'll be able to guide their whole bodies as well. So up on the screen is a picture. That's an Arabian horse, which that's basically the horse of his day. The average Arabian horse is 1,000 pounds. Average, says the non-horse guy. The average horse bit is five pounds for an Arabian horse. And uh, again, non-horse dude talking about horses. So there's all kinds of websites about, I, don't, I shouldn't even be talking about bits because they're so complex, apparently. Um, this five pound thing can control a thousand pound animal. He starts talking about this idea of disproportionate influence. A bit this small can control something that big is disproportionate. It's ludicrous. He goes on to talk about ships and rudders. And I didn't have a ship of that time, but this is about what it is. Uh, ship, old, old ship, right? You see the size of the ship. It's massive. You see the sheer weight. Just kind of do some math in your own head. That's a heavy ship. Add on to that the wind and, and the force of a wind, 20, 30 mile an hour wind, and all you've got is that, that tiny little thing called a rudder. It's disproportionate influence. How does something that small steer something that big? And the thing is, we, we look at that stuff and we're like, oh yeah, we know that stuff. And we kind of write it off and it's, it's all like, yeah, we're used to it. Of course it, a bit turns a horse. Of course a rudder turns a ship. And what's interesting is he says, we're the ones guiding the horse and we're the ones steering the ship. And then he goes on, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, meaning it's just as ridiculous in terms of the disproportionate influence. Our tongue is two or three ounces on the average adult human being. So given whatever skill you want to, that is ridiculous influence. Two or three ounces. And he says can boast of great things. Disproportionate influence. And it's the will, right? It's the will of the pilot. It's the will of the horse rider directing it. And what's scary is what he says next, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And he immediately jumps into disproportionate proportionate destruction. 
You have this kind of disproportionate influence, you are naturally going to have disproportionate destruction. One little tiny thing is going to be able to have immense influence on the world around it. And to prove his point, he talks about fire. One small fire can burn an entire forest. It's the idea, one word, one thing spoken, can literally light someone's life on fire. Before 1988 and Yellowstone's fire, there were 16 years, and in those 16 years, only 30,000 acres burned in Yellowstone. Over 16 years. In 1988, 800,000 acres burned in three months. Not even three months. It was July, August, and a little bit of September. People kept asking the, the head of the Forest Service, I was watching a video about this, they kept coming to him like, and saying, why don't you put the fire out? Why, why don't you just throw some good old American ingenuity and some money and some time, labor at this thing, and we'll, we'll get her done? And his quote, I thought, was so fascinating. His response was, nearly everyone, everyone doesn't understand the tremendous force a forest fire is. Why don't you just stop the hurricane or the tornado? You don't just put it out. And at this point, he was referring to it had become a firestorm where it created its own weather system. It literally had created, you don't put out something that is creating its own weather system. Just a word. We speak can have disproportionate destruction. We can say something to someone, or someone can say something, and it lights someone on fire for the course of their life, and people stand back and say, well, just put it out. Come on. Would you just put the fire out? Yeah, and stop the hurricane as well. Stop the tornado as well. James says the words, the fire that comes from our tongue are literally fires of hell itself. Lying, deception, gossip, slander, flattery, coarse speech, coarse joking, cursing, condemning, arrogant boasting, critical speech. This is just the stuff the Bible talks about, speech. All of it from the fires of hell. You know, over the years, and I'm sure many of us have stories about this, I, I, I can't tell you how many people I have had come uh, into uh, just talking with me or someone on staff about words that were spoken to them 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. And the fire is still raging. Not their anger, the destruction. A mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a relative, a friend, a teacher, 
Uh, stranger. I say teacher. That's the passage here. He's going after teachers. I'm not trying to say teachers here. Come and say to them, you're worthless, you're trash, you're lazy, you'll never amount to anything, I don't love you, I don't want you. Disproportionate influence, disproportionate destruction. And how many times have we said, I I, I was just joking, right? Get over it. It was just a word. I, I said it, you know, wasn't even thinking. You're, it wasn't that big of a deal. It's just who I am. It's how I was raised. It's just what we do. And we rationalize it, right? We rationalize and explain it away and say, oh, you know, whatever. And we get defensive about it because if we really stop to think about it, and if, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, it would be very difficult to admit in those moments These words were literally from the fires of hell. Who wants to admit that? So we deny, we transfer, we... I mean, how many times have we even said this? I remember saying this growing up. Ooh, he burned you. That's biblical. You know that? That's right out of James. You're right. He did. She did. Burned you with the fires of hell. Just, just saying. You know what's interesting when we're in the middle of that, in the heat of the moments, or we say something, we often don't think about the interior landscape of the person we're talking to. Can you imagine what one fire we start with our tongue, the impact that could have on somebody whose interior soul is like Yellowstone National Park? Been in the drought for a year, thousand-hour fuels are down to one hour, It is an explosion waiting to happen. All you have to do is just say the right word, and literally their life is torched. You you know what I mean? You ever walk through grocery stores? You ever walk into your classrooms? You ever walk into family moments, and, and, and do we really see the landscape and realize we say the wrong thing here? We assume what we think these people are doing and being and what they're like, and we can just be flippant and we just don't think about the other person. We just let it rip. Not realizing that the last thing they need is another fire in their life started by our own tongue. I think if if James, if we're honest, James is writing something that is so (laughs) relevant. There isn't one person in this room that doesn't need to hear James. There isn't one person, including myself. I'm at the front of the line. 
It's interesting, James goes on, he says, every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. We could tame everything, even back in the day. And he's looking at all these animals that could be tamed, the lions, the elephants, the camels. He's seeing all these different things. Even to our day, now we can tame a killer whale, right? I mean, and that was a whole fiasco thing. But we can tame everything. And he's saying, but not one person, including himself and including all of us, not one of us has ever been able to tame our tongues. We can't do it. He says it's a restless evil. It's like a rabid animal just waiting, just going to attack, always attack, and full of poison. Sorry, I'm doing this thing, <laughs> realizing that. <laughs> I'll cut that out of the second message. I was trying to reenact, for those of you listening online, uh, attack, and it just came out really awkward. So this is crazy. I just had a, a friend call from Kansas. I grew up with him in high school. And uh, hey, Rob, um, he listens to my messages, which was at first like, what are you doing listening to me? Like we grew up friends, but he's a firefighter. So I know you'll like this, Rob. I told him I'd shout out to him. So hey, Rob, um, here's the thought that I have, though, as you go through this, he says, no one has tamed the tongue. And then he goes on, he says, now, and this is just how out of control it is. One moment we're blessing the Lord, our Father, and the next moment we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. How often does that happen? How many of us were in a fight this morning? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Brah! And then we get to church. Oh, right? And then we get out, blah. And I say that because we all do that. And often what's happening on Sunday morning is it is Satan. And he wants to mess up the day and mess up the worship. I mean, it's so common. And I think we all sit back and sometimes we go, we realize, we go, doggone it, this is Satan. This, this is God messing up my day with Jesus. Knock it off. But that's what happens. One moment we're blah, and the next moment we're like, I love Jesus. And he goes on to say, what? what, what how, how does this happen? He says, this ought not to be from the same mouth, blessing and cursing. What? And he goes on to talk about this, the impossibility. He uses actually the natural law, which I love this. The universal laws. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Well, no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Well, no. Can a grapevine produce figs? Well, no. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You're right. You're right. How is your speech this past week? A couple quotes here that I, I came by this past week from pastors. Uh, one says, our mouth is driven by what preoccupies our, our heart. Our mouth is driven by what preoccupies our heart. 
another pastor said, one of the most outstanding signs, not the, but one of the most outstanding signs of spiritual maturity is a controlled tongue. One of the most outstanding signs of spiritual maturity is a controlled tongue. You know, when I was young, I used to value the witty, sarcastic, somebody that could just rip another person's arguments to shred and them to shreds. And the older I get, I just value people who know how to be kind with their words and affirm people and let a lot of stuff go. It shows me that They've matured in Christ. It doesn't really matter all the other things. Jesus, or actually Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Let me ask you something. Does your tongue bring life? You think about the conversations, you think about what you said this past week, does it bring life to people? And I don't know what context you're in. Does it bring death? Does it bring life? Or does it bring death? What makes this passage difficult is James clearly says, no one, and I mean no one, can tame the tongue. Jesus said, our speech, it's not what comes into us, it's what goes out of us, and our speech is simply a mirror of what controls our heart. I think the prayer out of this passage is, Lord, bridle my heart. Lord, steer my heart. Lord, you're the fire. You bring your fire. Purify me with your fire. Those are the prayers. Don't make a vow like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start controlling my tongue because it won't happen. It can't happen. You can't do it, and I can't do it. That's a self-improvement plan that doesn't work. God controlling our hearts. That'll change our speech. Do your words bring life or death? You know, I talk about sarcasm. I know I'm going a little bit over time. Sarcasm is two words put together. And I've said this before, but I, I just, it, it's still, I'm like, oh, when I hear people like, oh, I love to be sarcastic. Sarcasm is two words, two Greek words, flesh and chasm. And it literally means to rend flesh. The Greeks invented the word. That's what sarcasm is. It's to pull people apart. Do your words pull people apart or they bring life? The mark, one of the greatest marks of spiritual maturity is someone who is able to use their tongue to bring life and not death. I want to just close with one story. When I, when I came to this church, 
I was young, dumb, well, not dumb, but I was immature, unseasoned, never led this thing. God graciously gave me a church of people who were very kind and mature. I'm looking around the room at some of you and some of the things that you guys said. This church, um, this church quickly had a reputation in my mind of a church that brought life with their tongues. Remember, uh, in the old building, I got Dave Wheeland in the back, five rows from the back, always sat by the post. You guys know who I'm talking about and where he sat. And uh, I would go back and shake Dave's hand every once in a while. And he still does it to this day, but he'd look with that steely eye and that grip that was crushing my fingers. And, and he would say it and mean it, Scott, I am praying for you every day. That brought life. We were two different generations, still are, and he prays for me. Marilyn Semprini, always sending encouragement. I just look around the room and do your words bring life or do they bring death? Let's pray. Oh Jesus, control us. Control our hearts. Put that, that bit in our hearts to steer us into your paths, that rudder that would steer us into your ways. Oh, Lord, I pray our tongues bring life and not death. I pray our tongues are, are, are like rain, showers of blessing to people in a dry land. I pray our words begin that process of people healing and being restored. Amen.